crowd. I am so glad that a good friend of mine by the name of Jim Nason is here. I don't know how many revivals I did for him, at least three or four, I think, there in New Durham. And uh, so it's good to have him here tonight, good, good friend of mine. Also good to be with your pastor, Brother Chris. He and I, I think we first met in 2014. I think that's when I did a revival there in Indianapolis. I think that's the first time I met you. So that's 10 years ago. And I'm so glad that he's here. I'm so glad you called him. I hope it's a marriage made in heaven. Hope you pray for him all the time. It's so easy to critique. And we're so slow to pray sometimes. And may I just encourage you, church, you be praying for your pastor, his wife. I see no cause for concern. Please don't take this any further than I intend you to. Uh, but they need, your, they need your prayer. They really do. It's, it's, uh, if I were the enemy, if I were the devil, if there's one marriage I'd love to destroy, it's that one. And uh, just pray for them, that God would give them wisdom, both of them wisdom and strength, to keep on keeping on and doing right. And, and the more you pray for them, the better off you're going to be as a church. And uh, don't be like a lady I heard about. J. Vernon McGee tells a story that he had a friend who pastored in Texas. And that church in Texas had a middle-aged couple join the church, came from membership, and the marriage was one of those marriages that you've all seen before where the wife controlled everything. She controlled her husband. She controlled everything she was involved in, and she would always control the pastor. Well, that couple joined this church, and the pastor would have none of it. He would not let her control. Finally, she got so fed up with him, she said to her pastor, can you imagine? Pastor, if you were my husband, I would poison you. The pastor very calmly said, ma'am, if you were my wife, I'd take it. Hope you pray for your pastor all the time. Good to have you here on this Sunday night, and we're going to get into it together here this evening. May I just encourage you, though, before we get into it, to just take a look around you. And I don't know how loving this church is. I don't know. But if you're a loving church, you're very concerned about who's here and who's not. And it would be very loving on your part, ladies, and very loving on your part, men, to maybe give a text or drop a phone call or an email to somebody that you know should be here and they're not here tonight that you would extend yourself and, and just invite them, just encourage them. Maybe somebody just needs an encouragement. You know, there are a lot of people that feel when they come to a church like this, they feel like nobody likes them. Nobody ever reaches out to them. And it would just be a very loving thing, very godly thing, a very mature thing for you to reach out to them. And may I just encourage you to do that, young people, adults alike. Note who's not here and just drop them a line tomorrow, somehow, some way, and encourage them to be out here Monday night. Let me tell you about Tuesday night. I know we got this dumb storm that's forecasted, but let's not let that, don't, don't let that affect you, okay? Let me tell you what's going to happen Tuesday night. I had to twist her arm. Her mother's promised her just as many chocolate chip cookies as she wants in her life. But Emma and I are going to do a duet. Emma plays a trumpet, and uh, we're going to do a duet together tonight. And uh, it took a lot of, of salesmanship on my part to get her to be seen in public with me. And uh, but we're going to do that Tuesday night, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I know that'll be a, a treat for you, too. She's going to make me sound good. And uh, so that, that's our, we're planning on that on Tuesday night. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, God, I thank you for Community Baptist Church. God, thank you for what you've raised up here. Thank you for Brother Chris and calling him here. And, Lord, the way that you're using this church, we thank you for this lady that made that profession this morning. God, I pray that she would grow spiritually. And, Lord, I pray that this would be the kind of church where she would be encouraged to grow. And, Father, I do pray for this message tonight. God, would you use it? Lord, I need help. Lord, I really need help. I am nothing more than a dying man standing in front of dying people, but would you use me anyway? Help me to connect to this congregation. God, would you help them? 
Lord, help them to connect to the preacher tonight as we look together into the living, infallible, preserved, inerrant Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take you tonight to the book of Philippians. If you want to be turning there, that would be great. I'm not going to tell you what chapter and verse yet, but I'd like you to, to guide you to Philippians tonight. And while you're, while you're finding it in your Bible, let's take the first five minutes or so in this message tonight to just kind of review. I know you know this. I know you know this. But let's just remind ourselves why Philippians is in our Bible. As many of you know, and you read about this in the book of Acts, Paul, the Apostle Paul, went on three different missionary journeys, and then he took a very long trip to Rome as a prisoner. On his second missionary journey, people, he was in a town called Troas. Evidently, there was a great church in Troas. We have no idea how many times Paul was there, but he went there routinely. And there was a great church in Troas, and Troas is part of modern-day Turkey, kind of what you would call the Middle East. And when Paul was there on the second missionary journey encouraging the saints, he had a vision. Now, people, we don't have visions anymore because we've got the completed word of God and we don't need them. But Paul had a vision. And in that vision, there was a man standing there who said, Paul, would you please come to Macedonia? People, what's so exciting about that is Macedonia is not Middle East. Macedonia is Europe. And for the first time, God is calling his wonderful message outside the Middle East into Europe. What a blessing. Most of us in this room probably have our heritage somehow, somewhere, our genealogy, if you will, through some kind of European country. And, and so the gospel is now officially being called by God to Europe. Paul immediately obeyed that vision and set sail for Macedonia, the country of Macedonia. I am told by travelers that because of the trade winds, it probably took Paul just one day to sail from Troas to Macedonia. Had he been going the other way because of the trade winds, it would have taken three days. But he set sail and he got there in a day. And when he got to the shores of Macedonia, he made a beeline to a key city in Macedonia called Philippi. It was called Philippi, people, because it was a military, it was founded as a military outpost, a military fort, if you will, and it was named after Alexander the Great's daddy, who was a great general himself. Well, Paul got there, and it was his normal custom that when Paul went to a city that he had never been to before, he would make a beeline to the synagogue. However, there was no synagogue in Philippi. I am told that you need at least 11 Jewish males who have celebrated their bar mitzvah to have a synagogue. Evidently, there weren't that many in Philippi. However, Paul heard about a ladies' Bible study, if I can call it that, of Jewish women who every Sabbath, every Saturday, met down by the river for fellowship and prayer. Jews like to meet by the water, people, because if they don't have a synagogue, they will baptize anybody that converts to Judaism. So they've always had an affinity to water. These ladies met down by the water on Sabbath morning. Paul heard about it. So one Sabbath, Paul shows up. Would you just kind of picture this in your mind's eye? Here's Paul showing up at a ladies' fellowship. There is a document, people, that survived from the second century that described what Paul looked like. Whether it's an accurate document, we have no idea. But let me tell you what the document says. 
The document describes Paul as, first of all, he was very short. He was bald. All godly men are. He was bald. He had a huge nose. He was bow-legged. And he had scars all over his face from all the beatings that he had during his ministry. Can you imagine somebody looking like that showing up at a ladies' fellowship? Hi, ladies. My name is Paul. Can I take it today? And evidently they said yes because he took it. And he preached the gospel. And a number of them, a number of them people got saved, one of which was a woman who was a successful businesswoman. Her name was Lydia. She was evidently a woman of means because the church that got planted at Philippi, the Bible tells us, met at her house. Now, men got saved because Philippians is written to the bishops and deacons at the church of Philippi. So men got saved. But the church got started by godly women. Ladies, you're so important to the spiritual health of this church. These, God, these women got saved and a church got planted. We, we, we have no idea how long Paul was there. But folks, you need to understand that there was a very unique, special relationship between Paul and the church of Philippi. We're told in Scripture that the church at Philippi kept sending over and over and over again money to the Apostle Paul. So one of the purposes of the book of Philippians is to say thank you for a love gift that they had sent him. Well, again, we don't know how long Paul was there at Philippi, but he left to continue his ministry. And he went from Philippi to Thessalonica and then from there to Berea and then from there to Corinth and, and, and started a, a European ministry. Well, about 14 years later, people, word got back to that church at Philippi that their beloved Paul, who they absolutely adored, he's their church father, their beloved Paul was now a prisoner of Nero. I don't know how much you know about history, but folks, Nero was a kook. He was a moron. He was absolutely crazy. And it did not bode well for you if you were a prisoner of Nero. And word got back to that church at Philippi that their beloved Paul was now a prisoner of Nero. They were worried. They were very, very concerned. And people, we know that they were concerned about two things. Let me tell you what they were worried about. Number one, they were worried about Paul. What's going to happen to Paul? We love that man. He's our church father. He led many of us to the Lord. Oh, what's going to happen to Paul? He's the number one spokesman for the gospel in the European world. What in the world's going to happen to Paul? We love that man. And secondly, what is going to happen to the gospel? Folks, they loved the gospel. They were believers, just like you. They absolutely adored the gospel. And now the number one spokesman for the gospel is now in prison. What in the world's going to happen to the gospel? It was perceived by most of the world as some kind of little cult called the way. And they were so worried about what in the world's now going to happen to the gospel. Well, I love this. Evidently, the pastor of that church stood up in front of his congregation and said, could I get a volunteer? Could I get a volunteer? Would somebody be willing to walk the 700 to 800 miles from Philippi to Rome, take Paul some money, and minister to his needs and see how he's doing? They had a volunteer. What a great man who's got one of the coolest names in the Bible. His name was Epaphroditus. Time out. Time out. I'm asking the Lord 
that before he takes me home, I would like to meet an Epaphroditus. It is a cool name. Could I put out a request? Could I put out a plea for those of you of marriageable age or will be of marriageable age someday and you can have children to name one of your boys Epaphroditus? We could call him Epi. We could call him Di. We could call him Tuss. Whatever you would like. But what a cool name. Would you at least pray about it? By the way, by the way, I did have a young couple in Pennsylvania about a year and a half ago. I was doing a revival at their church, and I had been there before, and I had put out that plea, and, and the, the wife was very much expecting a boy. And, and they told me, we're going to name our boy Epaphroditus, but it's going to be his middle name. Not good enough. I want to name first name Epaphroditus. Would you at least pray about it? Maybe you got some influence on a young couple, whatever. But, but I, I would love to meet. But anyway, Epaphroditus was there in the church, and he said, I'll go. And folks, he did. Epaphroditus went all the way to Rome, and let me tell you what he found. Paul was not in prison. Oh, he was a prisoner, but he wasn't in prison. The Roman government, we are told, would allow unique prisoners often the privilege of renting a home and being under house arrest, which means they were chained to a Praetorian guard 24-7. 24-7, had nothing personal, nothing private, everything, went, but he was allowed to have visitors, he was allowed to circulate some, but he was always circulating with an 18-inch chain to some kind of Praetorian guard. Well, we don't know how long Epaphroditus was there, but he came home, no doubt people, carrying this letter that you and I know to be Philippians. And when you go to Philippians chapter 1, the first thing that Paul does is he addresses their two worries. And let me summarize in a way that I hope will be very clear. Let me summarize what Paul says. First of all, he says, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I love that very famous verse 12. It says, the things that have happened to me have happened rather under the furtherance of the gospel. I am right in the middle of God's will. He never calls himself a prisoner of Rome. He always calls himself a prisoner of Christ. And the reason for that, folks, is because that absolutely flew in the face of his critics. There were all kinds of jerks out there who were saying, oh, Paul's in prison because of what he has said about Judaism. Paul's in prison because of what he has said about the law. And that's just God's judgment on his life. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. I am right in the middle of God's will. Please pray for my release. I'd like to see you again. But I am right in the middle of God's will. Don't worry about me. Can I stop there for a second? Can I suggest to you, those of you that are saved in this room, you're chained too. You're chained to a job. You're chained to a marriage. You're chained to children. You're chained to parents. You're chained to a church. You're chained to a neighborhood. Are people getting saved because you're chained? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Well, again, so Epaphroditus comes home and, and Paul says, don't worry about me. I'm right in the middle of God's will. And then he says, secondly, don't worry, Christians. Don't worry, Philippians, about the gospel. There is a revival, Paul says this. There is a revival going on in the Roman government. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, those of Caesar's household say hello. There's a revival going on in the government. Can you imagine in the Roman government, in fact, tradition says, people, that Nero's wife was a Christian and converted to Christianity. How in the world did that happen? 
Well, let's talk a little bit more, could we? Paul is chained to a Praetorian guard. Now, I hope you'll appreciate the humor of this next statement. But it's one thing to be chained to a Praetorian guard. It's an entirely different dynamic to be chained to Paul. Who is really chained to who? Those guards saw everything. They saw every reaction. They saw every word. The Bible even tells us that when Paul was in Rome, he was doing miracles. These guards saw it all. We're also told by historians, folks, that a Praetorian guard, and they, these guys were sharp. These were crackerjack troops. They were, they were to the Roman army what the United States Navy SEALs is to ours, or the Green Berets. These guys were specially chosen, specially trained. Their number one priority was to protect the Caesar. These guys were sharp. And they served anywhere from 15 to 20 years, and were told that a Praetorian guard would be chained to a prisoner like Paul in six-hour increments, which means that's four different soldiers that were chained to Paul every day. And don't you know that a whole gob of them got saved? All kinds of people got saved in Rome because of Paul. You know about one of them. His name was Onesimus. You remember him in the book of Philemon, that slave who ran away from his master, and Paul led him to the Lord there in Rome. All kinds of people got saved. And these Praetorian guards, they heard and they saw everything, and no doubt gobs of them got saved. There was a revival going on in the Roman government. Wow. And so Paul says, don't you worry about the gospel. And Americans, can I say the same thing to you? You don't need to worry about the gospel. Just be faithful. You don't have to marry it to a celebrity. You don't have to marry it to rock and roll. It does fine all by itself. Just stay faithful. Could I get an amen? Just stay faithful, giving it out. And friends, every one of you are chained. And I'm wondering if somebody were chained to you like they were to the Apostle Paul. Young people, if somebody were to chain to you, would they get saved? May that be a rebuke. I sure hope so. They saw your reactions. They saw what you watched. They, saw, they heard what you listened to. They saw how you talked. They saw your attitude. They saw your behavior at work or at school. Did they get saved? That ought to be a challenge to you. Well, then you come, my friends, to our text tonight. You're in chapter 1, aren't you? Philippians chapter 1. I'd like you to look at verse number 27 this evening with me, would you please? Verse number 27. What a verse. What a verse. Oh, put your seatbelts on. This is a fun message to preach. What I'd like to do, please, are you in verse 27 with me? Chapter 1, verse 27. When I count to three, everybody say amen. One, two, three. Amen. Did that hurt? Good. Feel free to say it anytime. Verse 27. Now, do a favor for me, would you please, congregation? If you've got a King James Bible, I would like you, when I count to three, to give me the first word of verse 27. Let me tell you why. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. The first word of verse 27. You ready? One, two, three. Okay, that's kind of weak, but you're, you're awake. That's okay. Only. Let me tell you what that means. That word only all by itself kind of has the idea of what you women do. And you're trying to get the attention of your husband. And he's watching a stupid football game. What do you do? You got something important to tell him. What do you do? Hey, honey, look at me. I want you to catch this. Hey, or what you parents do when your teenager's playing a video game and you got something important to tell them. Hey, would you look at me for a moment? Just for a moment, pause it, look at me. 
Okay, that's exactly what Paul's doing to you. Paul's saying, hey, Christian, hey, reader of this inspired, heaven-sent gospel. Hey, reader, it's good to know about the Roman government, good to know about the revival, good to know about me personally, but I really want you to catch this. Yes, it's good to know that other stuff, but really catch this, would you please? He's drawing your attention, people, to the next phrase. And what is that next phrase? Let's read on. Could we please? Look what it says. Verse 27. Only let your conversation, what a word, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Would you look at me, please? Only, catch this now. Paul saying, only church of Philippi, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Friends, please understand tonight that when Paul used that word conversation, it rang their Philippian bells. Boing. Let me tell you why. The word conversation in the Greek comes from the same word that you and I get our English word politics from. Politics. Oh, I'm in New Hampshire. You guys are famous for politics. You're one of the first states to vote on presidential candidates. The, the country kind of watches you a little bit, and I and, uh, hope you're making the rest of the country proud by voting for the right person. But anyway, let's not go down that road right now. But here I am talking about politics. When you and I talk about politics, and they say never do that at the Thanksgiving table, but when you and I talk about politics, what are we doing? We're talking about our opinions, aren't we? About how we feel about certain leaders and how we feel about certain directions and how we feel about certain movements and how we feel about certain taxes and how we feel about certain laws. Nothing wrong with that. We're just talking about the way that we conduct ourselves as citizens. We are citizens, at least most of us, of the United States of America. And I think most of us are probably pretty proud of that. I'm, we're very thankful for it because we still have a lot of freedom, don't we? But friends, let me tell you something about Philippi. I haven't shared this yet. I've saved it for this moment. Philippi was what was called a Roman colony. There were only about 200 in the entire Roman Empire where there were hundreds of thousands of cities. There were only 200 or so cities that were called Roman colonies. Let me tell you what that meant. I say that word colony, and here I am in New Hampshire, and I say the word colony, and you immediately think of 13 stripes on the American flag, and you think log cabins and muskets and shooting deer and turkeys and getting along with Indians and homeschooling and log cabins and shoe buckles and rugged and we're tough here in New England. Yeah, we'll see on Tuesday night. We're tough here in New England. My friends, you are doing disservice to the word. May I remind you of your history? For the first 150 years of our country, we were very loyal to England. We were very loyal to the crown. We paid taxes. That's why I'm speaking tonight in English and not French and Spanish. I'm in English because we were very, we were an England country. And when you came to America, you thought when you came to one of the 13 colonies, the word colony simply meant a piece of England away from England. So when you came to a colony, you expected to speak English. You were under English law. And friends, we were thankful for that. We had all kinds of protection because of our identity with England for the first 150 years. 
Philippi was a piece of Rome away from Rome. Oh, you have no idea. People, they were so incredibly proud of that. When you went to Philippi, all the women were staying current on the latest hairstyles of Rome and wearing the hair the same way. The latest fashion of Rome and wearing the same fashion of Philippi. Men in Philippi cut their hair. They didn't have long hair. That was kind of considered bohemian, uncouth. They cut their hair. That was considered cultured. They didn't speak the normal guttural Greek like the rest of Macedonia, not in Philippi. They spoke the official language of Rome, Latin. Folks, they were very, very proud of their identity with Rome. You know why? Let me tell you why. If you were a Roman colony and you were born in that colony, you were automatically a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen. Oh, people, you've got to understand, to be a Roman citizen, first of all, you are a, a very elite minority in that world. And if you were a Roman citizen, there were laws you didn't have to obey. There were taxes you didn't have to pay. There were tolls you didn't have to pay. You were, keyword, you were privileged. Privileged. Oh, they were so proud of that. Have you ever enjoyed being privileged? Have you ever enjoyed that? I often enjoy, well, let me tell you about it. It's kind of mundane, but let me tell you about a privilege that I often have. I always fly to my meetings. I don't have a fifth wheel. I don't have a, one of those beautiful, you know, half-million-dollar buses converted into a home. I'd like one if you'd like to take that on for a project. But uh, um, I, I, So I, I fly everywhere. I, fly, I always fly Delta Airlines. Because I always fly Delta Airlines, I last, last year I was a platinum-level member of their frequent flyer club. I know you're going, ooh, it is an ooh. Just stay with me, okay? So what happens often? This happened yesterday, people. I will get an email, or sometime I'll be at the gate, and I'll hear my name over the intercom. Would Mike Schrock please come to the desk? I sure will. I know it's about to happen. I walk up to that desk, or I'll open that email, and I am being upgraded to first class. This happened yesterday. From Atlanta to Boston, I flew first class. I know you're saying, ooh. It is an ooh. Let me tell you why. In case you've never flown first class, let me tell you what happens. You get to get on the airplane first. Ooh, it is an ooh, hush. <laughs> when you get on the airplane first, you have first dibs at all the overhead compartment space. I always travel heavy. I've got a trumpet case in one hand, a briefcase full of hair products in another hand, <laughs> and, I go, I, and I get on the airplane first, and folks, it gets better. I am no longer sitting in the back of the airplane where they have sardine-like seats. I'm sitting in the front of the airplane where they have sofa chairs with big cushions. And my seat is now up front. I put up my stuff in the overhead compartment space. I then sink into cushions. And no sooner do I sink into those cushions, if it's a sharp flight crew, there's an attendant in my face. Mr. Schrock, they always know your name. Mr. Schrock, what would you like to drink? I told the stewardess yesterday, I would like some tomato juice on the rocks, please. She ran to her little kitchenette. She poured me some tomato juice on ice, brought it back to me, and there I sat in the front of the airplane sipping on my tomato juice while all these poor peons got on the airplane back to their sardine seats. I got it back. People, I don't want to suggest for a moment that I deserve it. But boy, is it fun. <laughs> That's a privilege. 
It's a privilege. Folks, can you imagine a whole lifetime like that? That's what it was like. Please try to understand this. That's what it was like to be a Roman citizen. You were so very, very privileged. And that's the word that Paul is using with the word conversation. And may I tell you something tonight, Christians? If indeed you're a real deal, if indeed you're really part of the family of God, you are so privileged. You are so unique. When you pray like nobody else in New Hampshire, God listens to you. Even when you pray about something small, like a new pair of shoes or a, a, a new car, a need that you have, God listens to you. He doesn't the unsaved. There's only one prayer that he'll hear from somebody unsaved. Please be merciful to me. I'm a loser. I'm a sinner and I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. That's the only prayer he'll hear, not you. Everything you, there is no small thing to God with you. You are so incredibly privileged. In fact, folks, let me show you the same word. Could I please? Let me show you the same word. Just turn one page in your Bible, would you? Just turn one page to chapter 3 and verse 20. You'll see the exact same word again. The exact same word. Verse 20 of chapter 3. I'll give you a moment to find it, and I want you to say it out loud when we come to it, okay? Chapter 3 and verse number 20. Look what Paul says. Are you with me, everybody there? Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right, watch this. For our what? Conversation. Conversation. Same word. Now watch this. Let's read on. For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. In heaven, friends. Tonight, you've got something far better than first class on Delta. You have reservations in heaven. It is beyond your human capability to imagine, to even dream of how wonderful heaven is. And your name is already there. You are so unique. You are so privileged. Are you with me? Could I get an amen? amen? All right. Now, go back to chapter 1, verse 27. Watch this now. Because you are a citizen of heaven, because you are privileged, here's what God is asking you to do. Verse 27. He says, only, now catch this. Uh, good to know about the biographical stuff. Good to know about the power of the gospel. But I really want you to catch this, Paul says. For only, let your conversation, your citizenship, be as it, next word out loud, church. Oh, I lost you. Let's try this again. Only, let your conversation be as it, next word, church. Becometh. Becometh. Friends, would you look at me? Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, are you a good-looking one? That's what the word becometh means. Are you becoming? Are you good-looking? Let me tell you what I mean. This last summer, my wife and I celebrated our 41st anniversary. We've been married for 41 years. She's learned a lot about me in those 41 years, and I know you're going to find this absolutely incredible and hard to believe, but she thinks I'm pretty awesome. She does. And one of the things that she likes about me, there are many, many things she likes about me. There's, I've got some flaws. Don't, don't, don't uh, misunderstand me. But one of the things that she likes about me is she thinks that I'm pretty good. Maybe not as good as you. Please don't get offended. But she thinks I'm pretty good with color. I like to match things. I like, I like color. I find men's clothing often so boring. I like bright colors. I like to match things. I'm not one of these, but I like color. And so she'll come to me all the time in our marriage, and she's been doing it for decades. She'll come to me, and she'll say, Michael, 
do you think these earrings go with this top? She did that to me two days ago. Do you think these earrings go? Or she'll say, um, Michael, do you think I should wear navy blue shoes or tan shoes with this outfit? Michael, do you think this top goes with this skirt? She's asking me stuff like that all the time, and I like it, so leave her alone. I like it. What is she doing? Why is she doing that? Well, for years, for 12 years, she taught nursing at Bob Jones University, and she was going to stand in front of 50, 60 young ladies, and she wanted to look right. When she goes out into public, when she goes to church, she wants to look right. Christian, that's what the word becometh means. Do you look right? People, it's talking about the way you live. It's talking about your testimony. It's talking about what people observe, especially those that are unsaved and not as privileged as you. Folks, it ought to have. It ought to have a, a significant impact on the way you live. You live differently than somebody unsaved. Your music is different. The way you dress, your whole mentality, your whole focus is way different because you are a citizen of heaven. They're not. They're not. That ought to show in the way you live your testimony. There's something unique about you. God wants that. Only, and please understand, friends, Paul, mm, let me back up. God, through Paul, wants you desperately to get this, New Hampshire Christian. There ought to be something unique about you. You're not like the world. You don't look like them. You don't want to look like them. You want to please the Lord in all you do, the way you wear your hair, the way you wear your clothes, the way you talk, what you drink, what you watch, what you listen to, the way you treat each other. There's something that ought to be very unique about you because you are a citizen of heaven. And Paul is saying, oh, church, please get this. There are so many Christians out there, maybe I'm looking at some, that as the unsaved world watches you, they go, <laughs> they laugh. <laughs> they claim to be a Christian. They drink what I drink. They watch what I watch. They talk like I talk. Ooh, what's the opposite of becoming people? What's the opposite? Ugly. Is it possible that I might be looking at some ugly Christians? Sir, are you ugly? Let me tell you about one. I was doing a revival a number of years ago in Pittsburgh. On Tuesday, the pastor of the church took me out to lunch. He took me to one of those restaurants, I think you're all familiar with them. It was one of those restaurants where they had flat screen TVs all over the walls. Perfect place to go to on, during college football season, you know, on a Saturday, and you can watch several games at the same time. That's fun to do if you're a football fan. And it was one of those kinds of restaurants, kind of a, you know, a sports type restaurant. And, but, but it was a Tuesday afternoon, and there was nothing on. But the maitre d' took us to a table, and the pastor and I sat down, and literally from me to this young lady right here was a huge flat 70-inch flat screen TV, and they were showing music videos on that TV. They had the sound turned way down. You couldn't hear the sound, fortunately, but the images were still there. As we were sitting there, all of a sudden, a young lady came on the screen. If I were to say her name, most of you would probably recognize it, unfortunately. But she came on, and pastor, I want to be tactful. But she was wearing an outfit, and I'm about to sell ice to Eskimos. You people know exactly what I'm talking about. But she was wearing an outfit that just said, I'm ready to party. 
I'm ready to do the scene. I'm ready to get it on. I'm being very euphemistic, parents, but you understand what I'm saying, don't you? You know exactly what I'm talking about. She started moving. Hear me carefully, Christians. I know I'm going to offend some of you. But she started moving in a way that was absolutely dictated by her music. Some of you crybabies need to grow up and realize that music always has a message, even without words. And she started moving in a way that was absolutely commanded by her music. People, it was so offensive that I had to turn in the booth. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I know something about that young lady. If you want to know her name, see me afterwards. I'll be glad to tell you what it is for a dollar. But she, she, I, I've read over and over. I've read over and over. I have read over and over again in the media. She claims to be a Christian. I am not here to argue with you. I'm going to take her for her word. I believe that she might be because she's done it over and over again for years. She claims to be a Christian. Uh, uh, wait, 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 what? You know, folks, I don't know how well you know the Bible. But the Bible says, flee fornication. Flee any kind of fleshy sin like that. Flee, run, run, Mike, run. Run, men, run, run, ladies, run. Run, young people, run. But there was my Christian sister saying, no, Mike, don't run. Chase it and let me help you. Huh. Folks, does that not hit you? It's like, what? That doesn't make sense. She is totally opposite of becoming, even though she's a very attractive woman on the outside, she is what Solomon describes as a diamond in a pig's snout. She's ugly. She's ugly. And friends, he has become exactly what Paul is saying. No, Christians, don't. No, 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 no. That's ugly. Friends, what do you like? What are people watching as they watch you? And don't you go down the road, that immature road that goes, well, they shouldn't be watching me and they shouldn't be judging. Oh, grow up. You should want to be watched. You should want to have a testimony. You should want people watching you. Your life ought to make them thirsty for what you've got. That's what a good-looking Christian is all about, friends. And Paul is saying, oh, catch this, would you? Make sure that if your citizenship is in heaven, you're becoming. You look like it. Now, friends, if you're becoming, if you look like it, what do you look like? What exactly do you look like? Let's read the rest of the verse, could we? Go back to verse 27. I need to hurry up here. I'm out of time. And you probably already know that, don't you? Verse 27. Watch this. Only catch this now. Let your conversation be as it become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, it doesn't matter who's watching you, I may hear of your affairs. Would you look at me just for a second? This is free. This is free. But Paul says, I may hear of your affairs. I may hear. Every one of you in this room have a reputation. And Paul's saying, boy, I sure hope I, I hear about you. I hope I hear good stuff. May I suggest to you, your pastor's doing the same thing. Boy, I sure hope I hear good stuff about you, the way you're at at work and the way you're like at school, the way you're like in your neighborhood. Every one of you have a reputation. 
Proverbs says, even a child is known by his ways, whether he be good or whether he be evil. Even you children have a reputation. I hope that challenges you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But let's read on. That was free. Let's read on. I may hear of your affairs. Everybody with me? Say amen if you're awake. Amen. All right, good. Three of you. I may hear of your affairs. Now watch this. That ye. Watch this now. Watch this. Watch this. That ye stand fast in one spirit. That ye stand fast. That ye stand fast. Folks, would you look at me? You are good looking if you stand fast. If you stand fast, let me tell you about the word stand fast. It's military. It's a military word, Christian soldiers. It's a military word. And you know what it means? The best definition I have ever heard of stand fast, not original with me, but the best definition I've ever heard is this. Stay in your foxhole. Stay in your foxhole. Now, some of you are looking at me again like I'm bald. You don't know what a foxhole is. Let me tell you what a foxhole is. Every soldier knows what a foxhole is. What happens is, is a commander, a, a, a sergeant, a corporal, a lieutenant, whatever, may say to you, a private, soldier, I would like you to dig a hole right there and get in it for your protection and guard that area and don't move. Dig a foxhole right there and guard that area and stay there unless otherwise instructed. So that soldier digs a foxhole. The deeper, the better, because it's more protection. And he gets in that foxhole, and if he's a good soldier, what does he do? He stays there, and he doesn't budge. Why in the world would a soldier leave a foxhole? Fear. Cowardness. Friends, can I show you your foxhole? It's in your lap. It's called the Word of God. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about rock and roll? What does the Bible say about the wrong kinds of TV? What does the Bible say about showing flesh? When you are going to be the right kind of soldier and the right kind of good-looking, becoming Christian, you get in that foxhole and you don't move, no matter what is politically correct. I don't know if you are familiar with the name Jaylene Hinkle. She got married and is now Jaylene Wilson. But let me tell you about Jaylene. I'll tell you right up front, she was on Fox News about a year and a half ago. Maybe you saw it. Let me tell you about Jaylene. If I ever have the chance to meet her, I have my wife's permission to give her a hug. And I'm going to slip her a $20 bill and tell her to have a Starbucks on me. She's one of my heroes. Let me tell you about Jaylene. Jaylene went to a Christian school in Denver, Colorado. She's Hispanic. And she's a great soccer player. And it had been her dream as a high school girl to someday play on the United States women's national team. They're really good. They always win the World Cup. They always win the gold medal. They're really, really good. And it had been a lifelong dream for Jaylene to play on that team. She went to the University of North Carolina on a soccer scholarship. And don't you know, she was a star there. And she got chosen. She got selected to be on the United States women's national team as a midfielder. She's really good. But let me tell you about her. She loves the Lord Jesus Christ. She's got a website where she promotes the name of the Lord Jesus. She is definitely a Christian. And let me tell you what happened. When she was playing for the United States national team, the national team decided 
that they were going to slap that stupid rainbow on their uniforms and promote the homosexual agenda. Jaylene went to her coaches and she said, I'm a Christian. I'm opposed to that lifestyle. It's wrong. God says it's wrong. Can I please be excused? I will not wear that rainbow. Her coaches said, Jaylene, no, you must wear it. Jaylene said, I'm not going to wear it. She got kicked off the team. What a good-looking Christian. I want to be like her. Let me tell you, the story continues. She started playing for professionally for the North Carolina women's team. They're called the North Carolina Courage. I've seen them play in person. I helped the referee professional soccer there in Greenville when I'm in town. She wasn't on the. T- she wasn't. She didn't come with the team the night that I that I refereed the game that they were playing Greenville. But but she played for the North Carolina Courage, and people, don't you know, the devil is so cagey. Don't you know that the North Carolina Courage decided to have a night where they were going to promote the homosexual queer agenda. Jaylene went to her coaches. She said, "I am a Christian." I am opposed to that lifestyle. The Bible says it's wrong. I will not wear that rainbow. Can I be excused? Her coaches said, Jaylene, yes, you can be excused. And she was. Friends, if I ever meet her, I'm going to give her a hug. I want to be like that. And I wonder if you, Christian, have that kind of courage. Where something you absolutely adore and love, you'd be willing to give up for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jaylene stayed in her foxhole. Do you? Or are you one of those thousands of Christians in the United States of America? Well, maybe there is something hereditary about homosexuality. Maybe it's not so wrong. And maybe I ought to put up with it for a while. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I need to be politically correct. You coward. You coward. Stay in your foxhole. Don't budge. May God help you to be good-looking. Father, thank you tonight for church. Lord, what a powerful verse. And God, I pray that there be all kinds of Christians in this room that will leave the auditorium here in a little while with a holy hush in their heart. Well, they'll ponder what they've heard tonight, what they've studied. God, I pray that you would use this message long after it's been preached. Father, I pray for this church that you would fill it with good-looking Christians. Christians that are becoming to you. Lord, that no matter what they're chained to, they have a positive effect. Whether it's school, work, neighborhood, shopping, buying gas, living in the greater Rochester area. God, I pray you'd help us to be becoming. And God, I do pray that you'd help these dear saints to stay in their foxholes, to stay true to their convictions, no matter what it costs, no matter what's politically correct in New England, God help us to stay in our foxholes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking. I'm the only one looking. I, I, I'd like to just ask you a question. Would you slip up your hand if this applies to you? I wonder if you're here tonight and you'd be willing to say, Mike, I needed this. I needed this. I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But I realize... I'm not very good at staying in my foxhole. And I realize this evening, I'm not very good looking. And God has touched my heart. And I'm sitting here right now here in the quietness of this moment. I'm sitting here convicted. God has touched my heart. Would you please pray for me in closing? I needed this tonight. God has touched my heart. 
please pray for me. Here's my hand. Would you quietly slip it up high enough that I can see and put it down? God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Number of hands. God bless you. Thank you for your courage. Lord, I've seen a number of hands. Lord, I pray that the owner of that hand would meet you where you need to be met in their lives. God, have your will, would you please, in their lives. Lord, as a result of our time together tonight, may they be better looking. God, I pray for these young people. Lord, they're watching these adults thinking, oh, so that's how a Christian lives. God, help us to be the right example of staying in a foxhole. In Jesus' name I ask it. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, Pastor.